I think it's healthy. It's healthy to care about your company so much and care, you know, that to, to stay on top of your growth and where you need to put more attention to different areas because as a, a founder, you're constantly juggling many different hats, at least for me. There are different founders that have a, a team. I started it with no team. I started it by myself. So I, I had to make myself very uncomfortable learning things that I didn't really never studied before. Remember, I don't have the healthcare background. I just said I'm out to make a change. And so I had to learn. For this episode of Austinpreneur, we chat with Melissa Blatt, who is CEO and founder of IndiePop. It was when Melissa struck out on her own as an entrepreneur that she realized how expensive health plans are when you're not part of a big company. That experience led Melissa to start IndiePop, which curates unique health plans called HealthShares for small business owners, independent contractors, and others struggling to find affordable healthcare. After studying at NYU, Melissa built her career leading business development for companies in a variety of industries, including media, tech, and nonprofits. Melissa and I had fun recording this conversation for a live audience at Austin Startup Week, and I think you'll have fun listening too. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on the show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. Melissa, welcome to the show. Hi. Good to be here. Yeah, good. Good to have you in. Well, you're in from Arizona, right? Yeah, so we're, Fe we're Phoenix-based. You get here a lot, though. We see you pretty much every one of these big events we host. Well, excited to dive into your journey and Indie Pop today. And you want to just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at at this point? Yeah, absolutely. So Indie Pop stands for Independent Population. And I found myself being part of this population several years ago when I left the corporate world to go out on my own and I was now classified as a 1099 contractor and on my own for healthcare. And that, mean, that meant that I had to find my own healthcare now because it wasn't being provided to me by a company. I went into all the different types of marketplaces and I kept coming up with a very high premium and a, just really a sticker shock for the deductible was $8,000 and this was a bronze plan and I'd have to switch all of my doctors. And this was something that just stayed with me at night when I went to bed that I really needed better quality care and what am I really paying for here? And I couldn't shake it. So I decided I'm going to do a deep dive into this industry and if I find a solution, I'm going to share it with an entire population of people just like me. Why is it that it's so hard to find good health care if you're not employed as a traditional employee? Well, I mean, look at what the, the U.S. is based. You get your health care through your employer. Most countries are not like that. And so when you're on your own, it goes by your earnings and your age and your location. So there's different rates for, for different places. And it's just more restrictive. And I think it's because if you're not part of a larger group, you can't share the risk. That's the definition of insurance is the sharing of risk. Mm. So if I come in, you know, as one person, I can't, I can't share the risk with anyone else. So my rates are going to be higher. 
What does it mean to share risk in healthcare exactly? Meaning? If I end up having a condition that needs medical attention, so if I maybe become a diabetic, now it's going to cost the insurance more because now I have a condition. So if I'm in a company with, with 400 people and I become diabetic, well, I'm sharing that cost with 400 people. Right. right? Not all 400 of them are diabetic. Right. They're the healthy pool of people. Right. So it goes by the pool of people that you're bringing in. So when you have a one-off person, the risk is very high. Well, if something happens, they can't share the risk with anyone else. So their rates usually are three times higher. Or with healthcare.gov and what Obamacare did was it, you get a, a subsidy. So if you're making less than a certain amount of money, you get that tax credit. Hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you, you have this experience becoming a 1099 contractor, had to provide your own health care, got fed up with it, said, I'm, I got to do something about this. And what exactly have you done? So I created a marketplace with an alternative product mm. other than insurance. Okay, tell right. us about that. So I didn't realize there were something out there called cost shares. So insurance, you have a premium, you have a deductible, you have some restrictions and networks, and it's not as transparent. Cost sharing, you're becoming a member of a large group or community that shares the cost of medical needs. Typically, you're going to have concierge care. You're going to have medical advocates behind you to make sure that you can navigate a massive healthcare system. So that was already different. My premium became known as a membership. So now I'm becoming a member of a large group or community. You know, I'm, I'm just not just called it a premium anymore. And the deductible is now called an IUA. So this means that I have a patient responsibility amount that I'm going to owe and then the health share is going to share the, the rest of the cost. But that, it's a transparent rate. So regardless of the doctor that might be on call that night, it doesn't matter what network he's, he's, he or she is in because I have a flat rate that I'm going to be responsible for if I break my leg. And so you cut, you, when you're in a health share, it's, it, you know, this is what's covered, you know exactly what it is, and then you, and, and, and you don't have in-network, out-of-network, it's, you can go any, any doctor, anywhere. Yeah, so in insurance, if there's an emergency situation, technically you shouldn't have to be tied to a network mm -hmm. when it's an emergency, but if it's a planned surgery, you better know if you have a, a, a network doctor because you can owe a lot of money if you go out of network. Go out of network yeah. So with our plans, it is, it's an open network. Yeah. Our, they will work with any doctor, especially if they already take insurance. And it works state, over state lines. So again, with insurance, it might be limited to 14 states. Our plans will work in all 50 states. So if you are building a small team, think about how you would have to find a plan that works in Nashville and Austin and Miami. Our plans work identically. And then how, how does it work on the back end? Is it different than an insurance company or is it like, I guess from a structural standpoint, what's the difference? Well, you're, they have a fund they need to manage. So it, it is structurally different and also they're helping you walk through your medical need a little, a little more, more because they, they know the fair cost for everything. It's not actually this, where the hospitals can just make up whatever they like. There, there is a, a blue book, a healthcare blue book that actually shows what it should be for a skin biopsy in Omaha, Nebraska, a gallbladder removal in New Mexico. And they help negotiate and make sure that you're gonna pay the fair cost for a treatment or an MRI, or, or if it's a major medical, you'll have that $1,000 out of pocket so you know exactly what you're going to owe. Got it, and so they have a, like a it's a dedicated 
fund mm -hmm. versus an insurance company is doing it off their balance sheet, basically? Or it seems like they would have a fund as well, no? It's, it's, it's different because they have contracts with the hospitals and with the doctors. Ours aren't really, they're not really contracted because what they're doing is they're absorbing the cost. They're saying, okay, member, you're responsible for one 1,000 and we're gonna pay the 9,000. We're gonna nego negotiate with the hospital and we're gonna, you know, that $50,000 bill is gonna go down to 9,000. Mm. So it's just a little different approach than what we're used to. Yeah. And I think people get jarred because we're used to one way of doing something and when we say, okay, here's an alternative, oh, well, I don't know, that, I mean, that's not insurance, I don't know, is it gonna work? Right. And what are the key things people should be looking at in their insurance to, to, to figure out if this is, you know, if you're getting a good yeah. deal or not? Well, everybody, first of all, there's no one size fits all. Yeah. Everyone is different and everyone has different needs. So a 26-year-old that's young and healthy and invincible really, you know, might just want, I need a plan to make sure I don't go into medical debt if I break my leg. Whereas the family that has children and they go to the, you know, urgent care and their kids are in sports, they might see more doctors. So we're looking at, at different needs. So each person, you're not only looking at what you're going to be paying for on the front end, the, the membership or the premium, you're gonna look at the deductible, which is what are you going to owe before the insurance kicks in? Or what is your IUA or your patient responsibility amount if you are on a cost share? And then you're going to see, here's some tips, anyone, if you are, if this plays during open enrollment, know what it would cost if you have to go into the ER. Many people do not know if they have a copay, coinsurance, or even a deductible. If you have a deductible and it's 5,000, and you went in for a sprained ankle, what are you gonna pay? The full amount, yeah, right? five thousand. Yeah. So, you know, look at that. That does make a difference because I don't know anyone that knows they have an upcoming, you know, emergency appendectomy. Nobody has a crystal ball that right. can say this is going to happen in in twenty twenty four. So, emergencies aren't planned, and that ER visit, you want to make sure if it's a copay, how much is your copay? Is it copay plus coinsurance? So, coinsurance is going to be what you split between yourself and the insurance company: 80-20, 50-50. You might see it where you're gonna have coinsurance while you're inpatient. So for your diagnostics, you're gonna to have to owe 50%. One thing to look out for is if you have, you reach your deductible, look at the next term, which is called max out of pocket. That's gonna be the most you should pay for eligible medical expenses. Keep in mind, if you go out of network, you might still owe. So we know this, like people don't wanna wrap your brain around it. You don't wanna become an expert in healthcare, but you also don't want to have surprise bills, and health insurance is something that actually people do use, you know? Yeah, I know some of those emergency room bills can crush you, you know, and some, some unexpected things, you know, you're paying that off the rest of your life, you know, some, one surgery here, one surgery there. And as, as an entrepreneur, this can't be easy. It sounds like you're, you're competing with big health insurance companies, the federal government. How have you approached it from, from IndyPop's Indy standpoint as the, the underdog here? Slow and steady and making sure that we are creating a really great foundation. But yeah, we are competing with healthcare.gov yep. and several other very, very large insurance carriers, especially when, you know, people really, I'd say 99% of people aren't even aware this exists, that you can um, move on to one of these types of plans. Why is that? Why haven't these gotten more? They're not mainstream. Yeah. And also when it's something new, if you don't even know what to look for, in the plan, you don't even know what to ask because they function differently. 
there's also, that's another barrier to say, wait, I, I don't even know what this is, and just shut it down. Once we started to talk about it and shed some light on how they work, not all of the cost shares or health shares work the same. So you want to look, you want to make sure that you're comfortable with their guidelines because each one has different guidelines. And you want to make sure that you're comfortable with maybe a higher out-of-pocket for surgery, but a lower, a lower monthly, just like how my insurance might work, or that you're going to have to pay for something and then be reimbursed for it. So we chose, we vetted with very strict criteria. So no annual or lifetime caps for care, simple, affordable pricing, transparency, great customer reviews, and high value. Yeah. And so there's these health, health chairs that you've curated onto IndiePop. And so right. you can go on IndiePop, you know, type in your info, get some options, get a health share, and how do you, how do you get paid? We make a commission. You make a little commission. We make a commission, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what have you done as an entrepreneur to like, get your early traction? And I mean, you mentioned a road show. I know you're showing up at a lot of these things. But like, what, what, yeah. what, what are some tips for getting early customers and, and you know, kind of the, the first, I call it the pickle out of the pickle jar? Yeah, I'm a big believer in partnerships. Mm -hmm. You're a lot stronger and extend your reach if you serve the same type of client yeah. and you can create value. And I see this big partnership moving happening in SaaS companies right now mm. where they can actually share their pool of people because there's different data points. You've got to find that, that data point. So what is ours? Well, there are tons of different partnerships that guess who their clients are? Self-employed professionals. Yeah. So you're partnering with I mean, maybe like Uber could be an example. Could be right? an example, and, right. You know, they have a bunch of 1099 contractors and, and you could kind of provide, you know, use that as a distribution channel. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's much better if monthly they might have a better understanding. Let's just say it is an Uber where they do a push notification or where we might have a promo on dental and vision right now for open enrollment where they can push it out. So it's it's finding these marketplaces that actually communicate with their pool of, or their, their community, yeah. their network. What was the first like, successful partnership you had with IndiePop that really, you know? Quick. Quick. In Arizona, it's hospitality shift workers. Oh, okay. And how did that come about? Networking. <laughs> you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to make introductions and, and meet people. And you can make a list of, okay, here are all the different types of companies that I could approach. And then, you know, out of your network, does somebody, can they make a warm introduction? You got right? a warm intro to Quick. Right. I had a warm intro to Quick. And it, it didn't happen overnight. There were a lot it of wasn't conversations. Quick. It wasn't Quick. No, you're so funny. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Are, are, okay, so, but can you get a little more, you know, detailed on what that, you know, what were the stages of conversations you went through to get that, that partnership? Well, they have to make sure, it, you know, we don't have this brand name, that they're partnering with a company that's going to also be there for their, their shift workers, right? Their professionals, their gig workers. So they want, they had a really, they had great questions to, to ask to make sure, you know, where the company is standing, how, how, does it, how does it work, how does it differ. Um, and, but they liked so many, we checked a lot of boxes. One, IndiePup plans are great for the 1099 contractor. Um, a lot of plans are restrictive or you're not eligible if you are um, in a contractor role. Hmm. It also works for people that are not even, you know, they're, they're part-time too. Yeah. So it opened up a lot of um, 
doors, I'd say, for say, okay, that's the first step, Melissa. You know, most of our, our people are 1099. This is their either their their main gig or it could be their second, which they're not even getting healthcare from their main company. Um, how many states are you in? All 50. What? You're in all 50? It's a big deal that you can actually move around the country and not worry, will this plan work when I'm in, uh, you know, Miami? Yeah. So we checked a lot of their boxes and we're, this is our, I think, second or third year relationship with them. Yeah. And so you went through this kind of vetting process, this exploratory process. I assume you, you know, executed some sort of partnership agreement or, you know, to some, and then how did you make it? How do you roll it out and make sure it really like happened? So they're a little differently where they have very specific times that mm -hmm. they will talk about indie pop to their professionals. Okay. And that's okay. We we we're not gonna call them every month. Did you talk about indie pop? Did you talk about healthcare? It's their company is about making sure their shift drivers are getting what they need to be successful in when they work for quick, right? So we understand and we make, we, you know, we create content and we have landing pages so we can track and different ways that we can work with them. We can actually do more and that's, we did. Like when we partnered with a franchise, they wanted they wanted a, a 10 minute interview like we're doing right now, talk about the plans, mm. break it down even more. And then they sent that out with a push notification and a newsletter and the quotes came through and people already had an understanding of the plans because we addressed it in this in this video. Right. So we're very flexible about reaching people where they are. Some people don't open email, email anymore. Can you believe it? Yeah. I, oh, I can. <laughs> I, 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 I'm turning into one of those people. Yeah. So without you know opening email, you've got push notifications, you've got podcasting, right? Right? Yeah. Whole Videos. other industry where people might go to the the archives and see, oh, sponsored by IndiePop. Yep. Yep. So you got to market this even once you launch into one of these big companies. Right. You have to you know figure out what channels work for that company and you know kind of what message and, and the timing and, and really kind of it's like a mini product launch within. within That's that right. I think any program. relationship takes yeah. nurturing, yeah. and it's not one and done. It's the more you put into it, I think the more you're going to get out of it. Have you had any partnerships crash and burn and not work out? I don't think we've entered into something without the understanding that it would be successful. Good. It's a, you know, because now that we've been doing this, because I'm so seasoned, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a pretty good idea of what, you know, potentially what could happen. So. Got it. Got it. Well, what, when you when you were becoming seasoned, were there even maybe different companies? Like, I'm trying to get some some of the dirt here. Let's get some. You want dirt? You know, I mean, I don't know. Are startups all like happiness and success? Or no. You right? want to peek behind I, the scenes of the sleepless the, nights and little, the. What, you don't sleep every night. It's like. No, I worry. I, I, I shouldn't say I worry. I think it's healthy. It's healthy to care about your company so much and care, you know, that to, to stay on top of your growth and where you need to put more attention to different areas because as a, a founder, you're constantly juggling many different hats, at least for me. There are different founders that have a, a team. I started it with no team. I started it by myself. So I, I had to make myself very uncomfortable learning things that I didn't really, I, never studied before. Remember, I don't have the healthcare background. I just said I'm out to make a change. And so I had to learn. And where, where did you go when you needed to learn something? Is there any, any tips or tricks about that? 
through industry professionals, I think, are the best. Oh, yeah. I think if you actually go into, if you're, you know, to be an explorer into the industry, talk to the people that have been in it for 25 years. Yeah. Hear, hear from them. Talk. I talked to the, I met with the founders or the C-level executives from all the health shares that we partnered with. They, they didn't go on my plan unless I had an understanding of their roadmap. And they've exceeded our expectations. Technology is really becoming a part of healthcare. And I think people have to be comfortable with that, knowing that they're going to go into portals, they're going to use apps, they're going to have more virtual care. Yep, excellent. I, I do, I do. Well, well, we'll move to audience questions in a second if y'all have any, any questions for Melissa. I'm, I'm curious, you've been, as I, I know, out on the fundraising trail. Yes. And, and you know, working to, to get some funding. What has that been like, you know, the last 12 months? It's, you know, you know what has what, your experience been like fundraising? It's interesting. I, I went the methodical pr approach. I didn't raise, go out for a big raise. I went out for, this is what I need. This is what I know I need. I, I will spend it on. So I didn't go for these large numbers and just then figure it out. I went so slow, or I hate the word slow, but methodical, I'd say, is relatively, relatively yeah, yeah, that that I, it's also healthcare, and you, you, the, I think you have to take time, there's a, there's a, like you said, there's, you know, a lot of restrictions and a lot of, you know, I had to get a license, right, and we want to be HIPAA compliant, things that, that you need to put into the business to make sure that it has a strong foundation, and so I didn't want to raise, try to raise millions at, at first and then say, okay, now I have it, now what do I spend it on? No, I'd rather have the slow, the slow growth and say, okay, I raised, you know, this 200000 is going to go for this, this, and this, and this is what I want to prove. Once I prove that out, I said, okay, now let's go for the next milestone. It's metrics. That's what I've learned in fundraising is if you really can hit those metrics and tie things to your metrics, you'll have an easy, yeah. I shouldn't say easy, it's never easy to, to raise, I don't think, yeah. but I think having a really good understanding of your messaging, your marketing, where you're, where you're going makes the conversations a lot better when you're meeting with with. It, whether it's angels or venture capital. Yeah, yeah, you have to get your ducks in a row. Yeah, it's, it's still hard, but you know, you really got to have have everything together. Awesome. Well, anyone in the audience have a question for Melissa? Oh yeah. Hi, I'm Dana. You were talking about like, oh, no one wants to be an expert in healthcare insurance. No, I I love being an expert in healthcare oh, insurance. Oh, okay. Um, my company's in a similar area. But I wanted to ask about your opinion on value-based care contracts versus fee-for-service contracts and like where that's headed in the industry. The number one question we're guess we get asked every day, every day without fail is, I wanna keep my doctor. What that means is it's the most, one of the most important relationships that you will ever have, which is built on trust. And it doesn't usually happen over one or two times. And so when someone is jarred and they actually have to be switched over to a new doctor because their network changed, then you know, it, it's not only jarring for the practitioner, but also for the patient. So to offer that value-based care where you actually have spent the time and you understand your, your the, yeah, your, the, your patients, I think it's incredibly important. I think there's a lot of companies that are looking in, into that with their networks of reaching criteria of, that their doctors actually have to check more boxes. I think people are ex ha having more of an expectation of, I just don't want 15 minutes with my doctor. They're actually willing to pay a monthly fee, a membership, to stay with, to stay with a provider. And I, I would hope, well, 
I would hope insurance can recognize how important that is. Yeah, I've seen doctors go off insurance and into that like member-based model, right. membership-based model where patients are paying a monthly fee to see them. I guess my original question is like, do you think insurance mm -hmm. likes value-based care more than fee-for-service? Like, what is their preference? I don't. I can't speak for an insurance company because I'm not. But I can speak for the the people that are in memberships. They love having the opportunity, the accessibility to go where they want to go, the surgeon they would like to choose. I think that there, I do see it moving in a membership, more of a, a subscription model. I think insurance could, I mean, they, there's a lot of room to change things around, I, I think, but I don't know if they necessarily want to know. If you look at it, what has happened is deductibles keep going up and premiums keep going up. And people come to me and they say, I don't even know what I got in my plan anymore. I don't even know. I'm still paying out of pocket. Well, if you're, if you're paying this you know, $700 as a single person and a $6,000 deductible, are you, do you have co-pays for your primary care? Do you get your primary care for you know, $0? Do you have to stay with a network? How much are you going to have to spend for you know, your everyday type of care? People want to know these things. They're, they're tired of laying out more money on top of the the over the seven thousand dollars that they have to pay for health care. It just reminds me we had Bill Gurley on the podcast the other day and he made a point healthcare is one of the only markets where the consumers make decisions without knowing the price of what they're paying for, right? And like you go to the doctor and they say XYZ is what you're gonna go do. You don't know how much you're gonna pay or get billed until it arrives in the mail three, three weeks later. It's, a it's like taking a flight, getting off the plane, and they say, oh, by the way, that flight was 600. Or by the way, that flight was 1,200. Right. Would you have taken that flight? You don't know. Would you no. sat in that seat? And no. yet we're okay with it in healthcare. Right. We've submitted. Right. Why is that? How did that happen? I, I think there's no transparency. Yeah. And when you, when you start to uncover, I'll give you a, a story. So there was a... Um, a, a person that was going to have a knee surgery, and this is in somewhere in Arizona, and the hospital let him know it's a $50,000 surgery, but if you can do, if you can pay today, we're gonna reduce it to 25,000. And he got so excited, right? Oh, look at this deal that I'm gonna get. But the reality is it's a $6,000 surgery. Right, right. And still... that's, we don't know this, yeah. right? But if you really, and, and why should we really know this? I mean, should we have a reference-based price thing that we can look up and go, okay, these are all the things that I have to have, you know, that I have to get medical care on, and these are all the, you know, the fair medical rate. Mm -hmm. And that's the, I think that's the key is we don't have time. Are we supposed to know what the fair me medical, you know, market rate is in Chandler, Arizona for an appendectomy? Yeah. So you trust, who do you trust? Trust your insurance company has the benefits for you, or you come to a cost share where you have this medical advocacy team that says you will owe $1,000. And ours is not based on the calendar you're rolling over. So if anything happens to you in these next few months, like a broken leg, you can then go right into uh, to physical therapy and post-op care without paying your deductible over again. Right. And how does this play out as the population ages, right, and, and baby boomers you know, retire in her old age, I mean, is that gonna make this even worse? Well, in my continuing education for long-term care, it's frightening. It's frightening what's happening because we are living longer. Right. Um, our plans go up to 65, and then yeah. Medicare is the, Got it. yeah. 
But I do see, I think we're going to have more membership based for even the older generation mm. of needing, you know, of needing a, a, assisted types of care. Because we don't all want to end up in a nursing home. No, I don't. Okay. I'll take care. Thank you. Okay, come into your place. <laughs> but it is, I think, this this one area this of um, we don't want to become experts, but yet we go into these, you know, get quotes, and then we're just like, well, okay, I guess I could afford that. But do you really know what you're getting? And that's where the surprise bills can come in, and that's you don't want a surprise when you actually have to use your medical plan. Yeah. Hi, my name is Nina Miller, and I'm Austin's food superhero, and my mission is to interrupt the diabetes to and obesity epidemic in children mm -hmm. who have these conditions rising at a very fast rate by teaching people about the impact of food on health. So my question to you, thank you for helping to revolutionize our very sick healthcare system with a new paradigm, which we badly need. But in addition to what you're doing, a lot of people consider the healthcare in the United States to be sick care because it's basically exactly. you know, a pill for every symptom instead of addressing the root cause and trying to actually make people well. Well, diabetes 2 and obesity are obviously examples of conditions that can be reversed through food, through lifestyle and, and you know, changes and, and diet changes. So are you going to try to incorporate into your plan more prevention, more of an understanding mm -hmm. that health across the board is going to cost less for insurers, for everyone, yeah. if they understand mm -hmm. the tools that everybody can use to make their health Better. Well, one, I want to address that on all our plans, type 1 and type 2 diabetes is not considered pre-existing at all, and you'll pay the same rate as anybody else. So that's already one exclusion, which is pretty amazing. Two is all of our plans have a concierge or a medical team that can work with you because it, ex that's exactly that, is people wait until they have a symptom, and then it could be already much further, well, then they wait to go to the doctor, right, if it's, if it's not accessible or affordable. So our plans make cross both, it's accessible, it is affordable, and we're working with more and more like types of health coaches and apps that work and assess where you are. So you're exactly right, is it is sick care, it's not health care. I think there are, are, you know, the insurance, you don't want to use it. I, the most frightening story to me is the person that has heart palpitations and doesn't want to call the ambulance because they don't know what it's going to cost them. That's not health care. That's not, that shouldn't happen. And so you're, you're right. We're seeing more and more, and I have discussions with a lot of different partners in for, to bring into our marketplace. So right now our focus is mental health, so we're bringing on partners in mental health. But I've been approached to do also for you know, for diet and exercise, because that is one of the conditions diabetic, it absolutely can be reversed if you're especially pre-diabetic, to not even go there. On several of our plans, we have, to, we have naturopaths on staff, and they're really great because they understand, some of them are medical doctors and naturopaths, of understanding without putting you on a Western drug immediately, but how you can use supplements to help your A1C. So I think by getting into more of this, these membership and not just saying marketplace for our plans, which are major medical hospitalization and your everyday care, there are going to be more membership types of where you can um, hire a life coach from, you know, and use an app where they could track accountability or specific, specific conditions. I really see that happening.
Yeah, so I really appreciate people like you and the lady up front that are experts in this and are becoming experts because I'm definitely one of those people that I don't know what I pay for. I end up owing money every single time I go visit a doctor because I just don't know what's my plan or who's in network. But the one thing I'm curious about, you know, we understand these insurance companies are, they're, they're, they're giants, right? A lot of them are publicly traded. They have investment funds. So when you're vetting these cost shares, I believe, do yeah. you vet their size? Because of course we have to know that they have to have enough money to cover mm -hmm. possible expenses or it's like a, a number that you have in mind that you have to be this big before we put you on the marketplace? It's more the longevity that I'm looking at and their, how they're interacting with me and how they've interacted with their members. And then, you know, no annual lifetime caps. Like, are they checking all the boxes? And then when I meet with their founder or their C-level executive, I want to know how communicative are they with me because we want a really strong relationship because we're not sourcing everything from the internet. We're actually human beings that built relationships. So we, we have better pricing. We have exclusive plans. Like once you have that relationship, it gives you then to build a stronger partnership that will help your, your members. So I was really looking for specific things of longevity that they weren't just in business for one year. So they have, you know, they could say we manage the, the fund this way. One of our plants has been in business since 2013. They didn't raise their rates for two years. So we know their fund was, you know, in the last two years, very healthy. They're only raising their rates 4.5% compared to what we see with insurance, which is 6.5% to, in some cases, I've seen 17%. So just having that understanding was very helpful for me. And why I only have three and I don't have 10 is because there wasn't that many that checked all of the, those boxes. I do have another question, and again, this is kind of personal experience. I have a lot of friends that are realtors, and a lot of them don't have you know, health coverage because they're 1099 contractors. Is that a partnership you're hoping to achieve in the future? Mm. Maybe like yeah, an EXP or Remax or something of the sort? Yeah, we've, we've, we've entertained that with you know, conversations with different realtors. There are realtors associations where they have discounted insurance, and so there are opportunities specifically when there's a, you know, Realtors is notorious that you're out on your own, but this gig economy is a different economy where it's so diverse an industry that there was an associations kind of built. You know, there might be a freelance association, but then I can't say that all the, our members are freelancers. It's not true. So you know, small businesses of the solopreneur and the and the husbands and wives and the franchises and I mean, it's it's a it's it's a third of the workforce. Did you know that? I was wondering, no, I did not yeah. know that. That's the U.S. workforce, third of it is. Third of it are, are self-employed professionals. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So they're usually on their own. Under, I think it's under 50 employees, you're not mandated to provide health care. I'd like to hear a little bit about, you said that you've been looking at mental health care options yes. for your plans. Can you talk on that? Yeah, so when I started IndiePop, I literally answered all the calls. So I got to really be down with my members to understand what is being asked. And we were during, it was during the pandemic, so already I could say 50% of people asked what the mental health was in, your, in the healthcare plans, which all of our plans have mental health, which is great. Or they were on an SSRI or some kind of mental health medication. But what I'm seeing is not all plans can serve, just like I mentioned in the beginning of the conversation, there's not a one size fits all. There's not a one size fits all for mental health as well. Some people actually do want to go in and talk to a therapist. Some people want virtual. Some people want cognitive behavior therapy. There's all different modalities. And I think what we're partnering with is different apps and different types of mental health companies that address the person where they are. 
So again, like a 26-year-old, a younger generation might want to do therapy differently than the, a family that wants to come in as a, you know, with, with the entire family. And so all of our plans do have mental health, but we're also looking at partnerships with different types of companies, specifically in the mental health segment of healthcare. So my question would be like, do you feel that the way that your plans are made, mm -hmm. it limits people's options in any way? Because in my mind, I'm thinking a lot of people who need intensive mental health care, we're talking like residential services inpatient. Are you contracting on the provider's side? Yeah, so that that's where I see it as, and, and, and to go back to Superwoman, I don't know your name, <laughs> where if you can go before it gets to that level of inpatient, where you can catch an eating disorder, or you can, you know, especially the teens right now, they need, they need a lot of indiv individualized um, care. This is where I see an opportunity for so many different companies to come and really address this this situation because it isn't a one-size-fits-all. There are new companies out there where you can do, you know, a subscription-based. It might not be right for you. You have there. There always should be options. My last question, I promise, yeah. is how did you like build your actual product and service, like from the very like ground up? I I'm a perfectionist, and I wanted everything to be all set and everything I had, you know, ready to go. And the reality is, I could have waited another six months to build out the perfect website. And so, really, I think talk to any founder; they're building the plane while they're flying it. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're either. They said something yesterday on the stage. One of the VCs. It was like you're you're. Oh, I can't. I can't say it. Or something along those lines, but even more more dramatic. You gotta yeah, build it and I don't know, not crash, but but not crash, yeah. and, and fail fast. But it wasn't. I mean, if if I had my way, I would have had top designers and I would have gone through months and months of, you know, I chose a color. I chose purple. Want to know why I chose purple? I like purple. Did I do study analysis for purple that it was going to resonate with everyone? No. How'd you, oh, Indie Pop was independent population. Yeah, Did you just shorten that. that up? That's pretty good. Okay, so here's a, it's more behind the scenes is it was called Project Lancelot for six months. <laughs> it was. Did you like Lancelot? Because, no, because they were freelancers. Oh. oh my gosh. And so then I'm like, this is not going to work. Like, oh, where'd you go to get your health care? Project Lancelot? That sounds terrible. <laughs> so I'm like, but I called it that just to have it when I was sending, you know, a deck out, or, you know, it had to be called something. I'm like, no, the name's going to change, but I can't, I just don't have it yet. And then I said, well, who am I serving? Who are these people? And they're a population of people. And what were they? They're independent. They're not tied to a company. Independent population, indie pop. And then I dropped the mic. No, and then I felt like that was that resonated with me, and you know, and it resonates with my members because they tell me, by the way, I love your name. Thank you. I mean, that's that's the feedback. I don't think you can push something with a blank slate and get it to where it is if you are easy on yourself. I mean, I'm just going to speak from from me. Like, I never once stop looking at keeping my eye where it's supposed to go, and I work six days a week. I don't work seven, but I. I make my, I make it, this is my priority, this is yeah. it. Yeah, and did you ever come to a point where you thought it might not move forward? I think two times, two times I actually said this is so hard, and you know, all the decisions lie in this little brain, and, and sometimes I just say, I have a couple of moments, and I do have, if I can give any advice, 
to any founder is have uh, one person that you can at least turn to when you are having that moment of um, can I do it or not even that. I knew I could do it. It's just I feel really low right now. Right. That was it. I always knew I could do it. So I have my mother who she's not a founder at all, but she's a rock solid, amazing woman. And she told me to straighten my crown, meaning <laughs> get you are. Yes, get it together. You know what you're doing. Stand up straight. And, you know, tomorrow's another day. But I think having I have great advisors. And I started that early on. So although I don't have a team and I don't have a, a found, a, a, excuse me, a co-founder, I have really great advisors that are there for me, and I have a I have a great support system, and that's helped. Yep. Yeah, and it's you know the people you bring into these things define your experience, and yeah, it's you know. I, it's one thing after another that you, you kind of bang your head against the wall, get through it, and then bang your head against the wall, get through it, and you know, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough path that way. I, I really just try to see around corners as much as possible to maximize and mitigate as much risk and keep building and just keep moving forward and the really fail, if I'm going to try something, fail fast. Just figure it out, okay, get emotional for a second, wah, wah, and then <laughs> move on. But then also the wins. I had one of my first investors tell me, another female founder, are you celebrating your wins? I'm like, yeah, it's like, what are my wins? She's like, those little wins are big, Melissa. You have to celebrate them. Right. And now that I have built out a team, you know, next week when we come back from Capital Factory in Austin Startup Week, I really want to say, okay, look what we've accomplished in Q4 so far. Okay, let's take a moment, let's pause, because we're, we're heading into some really great territory here. It's so interesting how as an entrepreneur, the same idea can feel so good one day, and then the next day, the same idea can feel bad. And, you know, and if you're in a bad spot, you have low confidence, and then, you know, you get a little win here, a little win there, and all of a sudden, it's, oh my gosh, I have the best idea. But the idea has been the same the whole time. Well, it's work. You just you keep yeah, working at it. That's right. But I try not to make decisions out of fear. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? I don't. I, feel like it's so I try not to make a rash decision if I'm in a moment where I know I'm fearful yeah. of something. Like, oh, what if this happens? Right. I say, wait, that what if? I gotta, I gotta really think this through because am I making it out of fear? Right. And if I'm making it out of fear, then I gotta wait to make the decision. You have to be aware of the fear I have to, to be do that. Right. right. But that takes being aware of who you are, right? right? You, you know, you have to have some self-awareness of how you operate. Like I said in the beginning, I, I knew I was a perfectionist, and it took everything to literally launch a landing page, and then maybe I had Squarespace, and I'm like, is this really what I'm doing? Like, I really wanted, and yeah, I had to get the product out there. I had to get it out. I had to, get, like, show. Right. Yeah, it's, you gotta start with something to make, yeah. it, make it perfect. It wasn't, it's never really perfect. All the things right. that I look at that I say, you know, my to-do list is never zero, but it's what, what comes up to the top that I have to focus on today. And my team is always, I keep them, I try to keep them at the top. If you need me, I'm gonna be there because that is, they're an extension. You're not gonna do this on your own. You, yeah. you have to have good people around you. Yeah. Fear is false evidence appearing real. So really, what was my fear? Was it even real to begin with? So it is a dialogue that I have to have with myself when I make a decision. Is this, is this fear-based? Is this something that is, re is real in front of me that I have to address right now? Or is it something in my mind of making it something that it's not even there yet? Like if it co comes to, to that, then I'll tackle it when it comes. 
But if I'm going to make, make it out of, oh, what if it does, I better make this decision now. Has anybody read the Dale Carnegie book, Stop Worrying and Start Living? It's a great book. Highly recommend it. Help me get over like all my stress in life and, and anxiety. Not a, a lot. Say like the bad stress. But yeah, the whole idea is like only worry about what is happening today. If you're worrying about something that is happening tomorrow or elsewhere in the future, you're squandering today and also probably not preparing for that moment in the future. And so it's like really, you know, kind of like a, a book written long before we had a lot of the vocabulary about being present and aware and well and, and, and yeah, and that's that's really worked well for me. And so, so. Uh, well, it's Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Is that yeah, Power Now? I think so. I'm not as familiar with it. Yeah. Like, it sounds very familiar. All we have is right now. It's all we have. That's, that's it. Right. So it's really as staying, staying as present as possible. Again, though, looking at the risks, you know, you have to be, I try to be five steps ahead to see around corners because you don't want those surprises, right? Yeah. yeah. So. You, you have to protect yourself. You have to build a strong foundation. But doing it in an intellectual fashion where you don't have these emotions taking a toll at you, especially negative ones. Right. And I'm not going to say that I'm not a, an emotional. Like, I am not a robot. I'm, I yeah. am an emotional. I'm very passionate. But I, I try to channel it into a way where um, I've worked on it, let's just say. Yeah. I've worked on it. Well, it's very evident, and you bring in energy every time you come around here, and we're very, very thankful for that, and appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, so why doesn't everyone join me in thanking Melissa for joining us here for Awesome Preneur? Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Awesomepreneur. Don't forget to check out CapitalFactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email, nickspiller at CapitalFactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible. And special thanks to Aaron Handworker, who masterfully recorded and edited the show. Come back next week for a whole new episode.